Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. today. If you can't see, balcony people, hello, 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 hello. Life is a journey, isn't it? Life is a journey from where you are right now to where you want to be, from the person that you are now to the person that you want to be. Life is a journey from the middle aisle to the stage, apparently, this morning for the pastor. Life is a journey from here to there, but most of life is not lived here or there. It's in the in-between, isn't it? It's in the in-betweens of life. Life is a journey, and we're always on that journey. We're always in process, and we're not necessarily lost. We're just somewhere in between. I wanted to tell you a quick story as we got started uh, this morning. Some of you are wondering what's going on with your church, just to keep you awake this morning. Hello, good morning. We're glad that you're here. It was several years ago, many years ago, I know, because there was no smartphones yet. We were operating with maps. Does anybody remember paper maps? Does anybody remember looking at those in your car? My wife and I were coming back from Minnesota, and we had a quick stop that we needed to make in northwest Iowa. Has anybody ever been up to northwest Iowa? It's easy to get lost up there, okay? So we're coming through northwest Iowa, and we have this decision to make as a husband and wife. At the time, very, very newlyweds, and you know, newlyweds never argue. So there we were, and we had a choice to make, okay? Do we take the interstate, which is the faster route, or do we take some of the back roads, of Northwest Iowa. And Timmy's like, let's just take the interstate. I want to get home. It's the fastest route. I know it's going to be. We have to go a little out of our way to get back to the interstate, but let's just do that. It'll be easy. And I'm like, no, let's take the back roads. Let's, let's get the scenic route. It, it's beautiful. It was the fall. It's great. Let's take the scenic route and take the back roads. I mean, what could go wrong? A couple hours later, we're driving down a road that looks something like that. And we come to a four-way stop. And inside, in my mind, I'm thinking, I have no idea where we are. We, we are totally, I, I don't know which way to go. And then I get the question that no man wants to be asked when driving the car. Honey, are we lost? <laughs> and there is a long, dramatic pause uh, there in that moment because all the pride in this moment has been sucked out of me, I say, yes, but we're closer to where we're going than where we started. Amen? We're not where we were, but we're not quite home yet. We're not where we were, but we're not quite home yet. And I was thinking about that story and I'm thinking that is really the heartbeat of this series that we have been in called American Spirituality. We're not where we were as a church, but we're yet We're not quite where we want to be. We're not home yet. We're wrapping up this series today called American Spirituality Concerning Trends and Reasons for Hope. And that's really been the whole idea of this series. Our church is broken, and yet it's 
beautiful. We're not where we were. We've made great strides, like as the church as a whole, but also as Hope Elam, but we're not quite where we want to be. We're not lost in northwest Iowa, but we're somewhere in the land between. The land between. And as a church, God has done amazing things for us, and yet we know that we don't have it all together, that we're not perfect, that as a church we don't always get it right, that we're going to make mistakes. We're not where we were, but we're not quite home yet. And yet God has done incredible things around here. People are being fed. Addictions are being broken. Racial barriers are being torn down. Marriages are being restored. Lives are being changed. Amen? And we're thankful for that. And we don't have to wait till somehow we reach this magical pie-in-the-sky moment where we feel like, now we can celebrate. Now we can rejoice. We can rejoice right now here today. Amen? This is the day that the Lord has made. And we can rejoice in that. And the reason that I say that today is, you know how Facebook is really good at sending you little memories, right? This is where you were. And it reminds you and it reminds us as a church, I was looking through some old pictures this week, and just like two and a half, three years ago, we weren't even in this building. This was just an idea. This was just a thought. This was just a vision. And, and yeah, we had purchased the building and we were renovating the building, but we were right in the middle of COVID and it was empty. And I started to get emotional because I remember walking through these same hallways, walking through the lobby, being in here quiet and all alone when nobody was in here. And then slowly but surely you start to see pictures of people sitting 10 or 15 people feet apart and you've got your masks and all of that. We were hardly doing anything as a church. We were just together, but a lot of what we were doing was online. It was on Zoom. We were developing relationships. I remember the first time that I met some of you without a mask. It was like, oh, there's your face. You have a mustache, you have a beard, like this is what you look like, right? And just remember when that was the norm and now we're here and sometimes we can, get, we can get so ungrateful but we have to look back to see how far we've come. Relationships hadn't been built yet. We were so far away from each other. Ministries haven't, haven't been started. And then I flash forward to this week, this last week. Almost every single night of the week, that parking lot has been packed and God's kingdom is growing and ministries are expanding here at the church. Praise God for that. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're not where we were. Tell them that right now. We're not where we were. Now tell the same person, but we're on our way. Oh, say it like you mean it. Say, we're on our way. We're on our way. I take great hope. I take great hope today in the future of the church. Although we have been looking at a lot of these concerning trends, I take great hope in that, in Jesus' promise. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Jesus says this as he's addressing Peter in Matthew 16. And let's read this nice and loud together. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, or the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's a pretty powerful statement. And I don't know, it's easy to give up on people. It's easy to give up because of the brokenness of the church. But I will tell you this, I'm not giving up on the church because God has and will never give up on the church. Amen. He's not giving up on us. I take great hope in that promise, in that reminder, that no matter how broken and messed up we are, that we don't get it right all the time. That our hope today is not in us as imperfect human beings, as an imperfect church. 
that our hope is in a God who says, not even hell itself is going to get in the way of my plans for my church in this world. Amen? We take great hope in that. We have a God who is with us. Not not just someday when we arrive as a church, but a God that is with us right now in the land between. And we're in the land between not just collectively as a community, as a church, but as individuals as well. As we were saying, all, all of life is a journey. Not just from one side of the worship center to the next. All of life is a journey. It's a long and winding road, not just through northwest Iowa, but all of us have a person who we are and then a vision or a longing of who we want to be. We're on a journey. We're we're on a a pathway, and, and most of life is not lived here or there. It's lived in between, between the marriage you have and the marriage that you want, between the job that you maybe have and the job that you long for, between where you're living right now and the house of your dreams, between the image of that family on Instagram and then the reality of your family and what it's like, between that longing to grow your family, to have a child, and that promise fulfilled. Every single one of us is living in the land between. We're not where we were, but we're not where we want to be yet. And so today I want to answer the question, how do we learn to thrive? Everybody say thrive. Thrive. Not just survive, but thrive. Everybody say thrive. thrive. How do we learn to thrive in the land between? I'll be honest with you. I've had a lot of conversations with many of you over the last couple months, and this is the theme that seems to be coming up again and again and again. I'm grateful for where I am, for where God has brought me, but there are unfulfilled longings, unmet desires, and all of us are living somewhere in the land between. I am waiting for something, and all of us could name off several not yets in our lives today. And so what I want to do is I want to go to God's word with you and I want to discover four shifts that we need to make to help us not just survive, but thrive in the land between. If you have your Bibles, open up to Jeremiah 29. That's what the the verse that you heard Mimi read for us this morning. And it should sound pretty familiar. If you don't have your Bible with you, grab your phone, download the YouVersion Bible app right now. I would encourage you to do that and go to Jeremiah 29. And this is a story that's going to help us as the church, but also individually, I believe. The Old Testament can be hard to understand sometimes, so just to set some context, to set the stage for you this morning, God's people, when we arrive on the scene, are in exile. They're in exile in Babylon. They've been taken away from their home in the promised land, in the holy land, in Jerusalem, and they've been taken as captives, essentially displaced. They're they're immigrants. They're refugees. They're in in a country that's not their own, and now they're in Babylon. Their worlds have been turned upside down. They're surrounded by enemies on all sides, and God uses prophets. Basically, if you want to know what a prophet is, it's sort of like a a mouthpiece for God. They're not making up things. In fact, prophets, most of the prophets, did not want the job that they had because they have to deliver tough messages. Well, this time, God is delivering a sense of encouragement to his people that are somewhere in the land between. And you have heard this verse plenty of times before, but maybe take on a different note Now that you know the context, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, encourages his people, and let's read it together. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. 
that's really encouraging. Be encouraged by that today. The same promise that God gave to his people thousands of years ago, that is the same promise that he has for you today. That is the promise of God's word that when it goes forth, it will not return back void. It will not return empty. You can claim that promise today. That is so true. And at the same time, that is so taken out of context. I just want to burst your bubble. Some of you are like, I love Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm about to burst your bubble. Because here's the important thing. When we read verses like that, we always have to remember what's behind and what's after. Because we will not understand God's heart and the intention of the author if we don't understand the context. So there's the verse you love. Yeah, a hope and a future. God, give it to me tomorrow. God, deliver on your promises right now. Let's look at verse 10. Right before it. I'll read this. This is what God says to his people. When 70 years, everybody say 70. That's a long time, by the way. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, your time in Babylon, God says, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Then for I know the plans I have for you. Have you ever noticed that before? If, if I am one of God's people, if I am a, a Jewish person that is exiled in Babylon at this time, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? 70 years? If you're a teenager, you're like, I, I don't know if that's going to happen before I die. Maybe if you're a child, you'll be around then. But for most people, that promise is not going to get fulfilled in your lifetime. Think about that. Oh, plans for a hope and a future. God, give it to me now. God says, wait. Because here's the thing. All of us want the promise without the process. And I'm not saying that whatever you're waiting on this morning is going to be 70 years. I'm not saying that. Sometimes, though, ask Moses. <laughs> he goes through the entire journey, and he gets to the edge of the promised land, never gets to go in. And yet we remember him as one of the heroes of the faith. Maybe success in life, maybe living a life of significance, is not God delivering on all the promises you thought he should but in your faithfulness to God in the process. We overlook the process. It's not always just about getting to where we go, but it's not the first time that God's people have struggled with this either. I want to go back in time a little bit, long before that they had arrived to the promised land the very first time. You might, might remember that God's people were wandering in the desert for how long? A couple weeks? 40 years, Okay. Maybe we're starting to catch a theme. God is a God of process. Not just of, I get it right now, an instant gratification. God is a God of process. The story of God is his people learning to trust him in the land between. And so what are four shifts that we need to make while you and I are also living in the land between? The number one uh, response that a lot of times we have when we have unmet desires is complaint. Everybody say complaint. And I would have you make your best complaining noise, but we're not going to do that, right? But the shift that God wants us to make as we see in these stories, as I look at my own life, God wants us to shift from complaint to transformation. 
God's people are wandering in the desert, so we go back several hundred years. God's people have just been rescued. God God delivered them from Egypt. He does this miraculous deliverance, right? The the blood on the door, doorposts. He rescues them. He spares their lives. They come to the Red Sea. Moses does the Charlton Heston thing, right? And God's people, let my people go, and they go through the Red Sea. God delivers them. Now they're wandering around in the desert. And you would think that after all God had done for them, They'd be like, God, we trust you no matter what. And here we are in the land between, and what do God's people do? Chapter 17, verse 3. But the people were thirsty for water there. It's legit. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? At one point in this back and forth with Moses as kind of their parent figure, they say, why don't we just go back to Egypt? Because I don't feel comfortable in my life living in the land between because it's more comfortable to stay here. It's a lot safer for a boat to stay in the dock, but that's not why boats were created. It's a lot easier for you to go back to where you were But that's not why you were created. You were created for whatever promise God's going to fulfill in your life. But most of life is lived in the land between. For most of us, just like the Israelites, when we're not there yet, when we're in that not yet season of our life, what we love to go to is complaint and we ask the why questions. God, why haven't you delivered yet? God, why haven't you come through? God, why haven't you provided for me yet? Why is this happening? Why am I having to go through this? And hear me say this. There's nothing wrong with asking the why questions. It's like the entire book of Psalms. Have you read it? Like it's just David and other authors just crying out to God, saying, why haven't you come through for me yet? God, where are you? Why, why, why? And shaking our fists at God. But what I want you to notice is that what makes their complaint move to transformation is that they move from the why questions of life to the what questions. They put their hope in God. They, they put their hope in God alone. They, they say, I'm, I'm alone and I'm afraid and I'm lost and I'm angry, but God, everybody say, but God, but God is still my hope and I trust in him because here's the reality. This is what the psalmist teach us. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Is that complaint left unchecked by hope becomes bitterness. God says when you're hurting, when you're lost, when you're afraid, when you're struggling, when you don't know what to do, ask the why questions. Cry out to me. But don't forget where your hope is. Because if it just stays there, it can very easily lead to bitterness. When you and I travel through the land between, our hearts are in danger. And you don't know it, but your heart can press in to the heart of God or you can run farther away. What Moses discovered is that the the desert, the wilderness, the land between is actually fertile ground. You're like, what? You can't grow anything in a desert. There's two things that grow in the desert. There's two things that grow in the land between. Either bitterness or transformation. And our response to the in-between seasons of our lives will determine where our hearts go. And the reason that we're able to move from complaint to transformation is when our why questions turn to what questions. God, what are you trying to show me? 
God, what could be the reason that you're making me wait? God, what are you wanting to do in me so that you can do what you need to do through me? God, what are you trying to break down in my life? God, what are you trying to get me to see? God, what can I not see any other way but by going through the process? What does that journey look like for you? Does anybody remember this? A film that came out a long time ago now. It's called Evan Almighty. Does anybody remember this film? Okay. Our good friend Steve Carell from The Office. Okay. So just to set the stage for you, Steve Carell is like a modern day Noah. And he's a congressman. He lives out east. And God, Morgan Freeman, of course, someday we're going to get to heaven. And God and Morgan Freeman are going to be very similar. I'm like, I knew it. It was those movies, right? got a good sense of humor, right? And just talks like that, right? And so Morgan Freeman plays God, and he comes, and he says to this modern-day Noah, I want you to build an ark, right? What would that look like? And so Steve Carell, who plays Noah in the story, his wife and his kids are really struggling with this, and their marriage is struggling, and their family is struggling, and his wife is in a diner one day, and she's asking the why questions. God, why did you do this to our family? Why is this so hard? Why are you asking us to do this, God? Everybody's laughing at us. We're trying to be faithful to you, but life doesn't make sense. Watch what happens when God encourages her to shift from why thinking to what is God up to thinking. Take a look. Of course, the loaves and fishes, right, are in her basket, brought to you by her waiter, Almighty, right? I know, it's cheesy. But don't miss the point. Some of us have missed a lot of opportunities that we think are obstacles. Some of us forget that God is constantly trying to get at things in our lives, but we're just blowing right through them. To that point about loving your family, I was just thinking about that this week. Because there's some mornings, Sunday mornings, where like, I'm tired. I don't feel like coming to church either. It's hard, right? Whatever it might be. I want to get my needs met. I, I hope that the sermon is good. I hope they do the songs that I like. I hope I get one of those Holy Spirit warm fuzzy moments in worship. I really like those. Could it be, maybe not today, but some Sunday, that the reason that God has you here is not to give you warm fuzzies, but so that you would learn to love even when it's hard? That maybe God is seeking to make us a whole and healthy family that doesn't run away from conflict, that doesn't run away when things get hard, and that sees these moments not as obstacles, but as opportunities. What if the in-betweens that you and I like to rush through are the very seasons of our life that God is preparing us for what's next? No, I don't want to wait. 70 years seems like a long time to be in Babylon. 40 years seems like a long time to be in the desert. Six years seems to wait like a long time for us to get pregnant. That, a decade seems like a long time to get my graduate degree or to get the job that I want or to have the family, whatever it is. And God says, oh, you just want the promise fulfilled and not the process. And what I'm getting at is who you're becoming in the process, in those in-between seasons of your life as you look back. The se- I was thinking about it this week, the seasons of my life that I just wanted to rush through and get through so I could get to what's next. Those were actually some of the most formative seasons of my life. Don't rush through high school. Don't rush through college. 
don't rush through young adulthood. Mom and dad, don't rush through those years and be on your phone more than you watch your kids grow up. Don't wait to be empty nesters. Don't just wait to be retired. Don't just wait for what's next. Live in the moment. God, what are you trying to show me? Move from complaint to transformation. But another default that we do when we're living in the land between, because we're humans and we're broken, is what we love to do is we love to believe things that just aren't true. What we struggle with are things called false narratives. And the reason I just didn't write lies there, that I think that gets overused, but they're the stories that we tell ourselves. When we have unmet longings and unfulfilled desires, what we do as humans, our natural desire in the land between is to try to connect the dots. Well, this happened and this happened and they said that and then this happened. And so we try to connect the dots. And what we do when there's not clarity from God or in our lives is we make up narratives that aren't true because we're humans and our brain tries to make sense of life. It is a coping mechanism. When we're struggling, when we're in the land between, we live in false narratives. The danger is, is that when you and I start to live in narratives that are not true. And so a good exercise to kind of check yourself, a good discipline is to ask the Holy Spirit, is that when I'm lost, when I'm hurting, when I'm afraid, when I'm struggling, when I'm overwhelmed, whatever it might be, fill in this blank. The story I'm telling myself is... Oh, those people just, they try to offend me. My spouse, they just wake up in the morning and they just plan out how they're going to get on my nerves. They, they, they always do that. My kid always does that. They're trying to get on, they're trying to offend me. God doesn't care about me. Nobody understands me. That person or those people are purposely out to get me. They're trying to make it difficult. Do you see what we're doing? We're making up stories in our head that are not true. Back to God's people in Babylon. 70 years, that is a prime, that is fertile ground, not just for bitterness, but for false narratives. 70 years, uh, God's done with us. 70 years, God's not going to come through. 70 years, 40 years in the desert before that, God's just playing with us. God, God likes to toy with us. God actually isn't a good father. God's not going to provide for us. And we just tell these stories to ourselves over and over and over again. We're tired of waiting. God can't really be trusted. You ever, am I the only one that struggles with this? I, and, and again, well, you may never say it, but some of you will live your entire adult Christian lives playing out a narrative that isn't true. I, I will... I will never be the person that I long to see when I look in the mirror. I will never be happily married. I'll never have true joy. I'll never be whatever it is. And we just make these agreements. And so what God calls us to do through the power of his word is to break those agreements. And it's especially hard when you're in the land between because you haven't seen the promise fulfilled yet. And so it's easy to doubt the heart of God. And when we find ourselves in the land between, God calls us to move from false narratives to truth. And how do we do that? In two main ways. In two main ways. When it comes to false narratives that we believe about other people, about our family, about our friends, about our small group members, about our brothers and sisters in Christ and the church, it is so important that we go to the source. Everybody say, go to the source. Go to the source. Who is the source? 
the person who the story is about. The person that offended you. The person that you hear other people gossiping about. The person that you can't stand. The person that upset you. The person that you're telling yourself stories about. You don't go to other people and you don't go to the narratives again and again that play in your head. You go to the source. You go to the person. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18. If somebody's offended you, if you have to call somebody out, if you have to speak the truth in love, you don't go to their friend and tell them, well, did you hear about so-and-so? I'm so mad about so-and-so. They tried to, you know, they offended me again. You go to the source. You assume positive intent. And you go in, not with your story, but seeking the truth. And more important than that, you go to the Word. Everybody say, go to the Word. This is one of the main reasons why knowing God's Word is so important, so that when we start believing things that aren't true about other people and about God, we counter that and we hold up God's Word to the lies that we're believing and say, that's not true. You don't break lies through your own power and your own strength. You break lies by putting it up to the truth of God's word and say, I know this is true regardless of how I feel. Because it is so easy when you're in the land between and you're not there yet and somebody hurt you and somebody offended you. People are telling stories about you. People are gossiping about you. It's to believe those lies. God's truth breaks those lies at the root. And we believe what is True. (laughs) Paul says, replace the false narratives with God's truth. This is why Paul reminds us in Romans 12 too. Maybe you've never thought about it in this way before, but let's read this together. Paul says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Pause right there. What's the pattern of this world? Ah, somebody hurt me. I'm going to go tell somebody else. I don't like those other, I'm going to write about it on Facebook. Somebody offended me, I'm out. I'm done, I'm done with you. I'm just going to write, do not conform to the pattern of this world and believe things that aren't true. Instead, I'm going to go to the source. Keep reading. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's two things that happen in the desert, in the wilderness, in the land between. Our heart is in danger and our mind is in danger. Our mind is attacked because we start to live in fear and we live in constant anxiety and we live in pride and self. All these things that God doesn't want for us is because we're believing things that are not true. Paul says, replace the false narratives with God's truth. I am loved. I am worthy. I can forgive because I have been forgiven. I am going to assume positive intent about them because God is always assuming positive intent about me. I have been forgiven more times than I can remember. This is why our main focus this year, uh, particularly for all of us as adults, but particularly for our students, for our children, grades 3 through 12, this past Wednesday we did a family Bible class in the commons, and I will tell you this, praise God, the commons was packed with kids, with students, and all of their parents. Give God praise for that. That's awesome. That is so cool. And uh, we're trying to build our children and student ministries on the foundation of God's word, not on the popular topics or ideas of the day, because here's what happens, and it trickles right into adulthood. We lead with our feelings instead of truth. Oh, you just do you. Well, no, it's not you do you, it's you do it God's way, and sometimes our feelings are not what is actually true. God's word is what true. 
is what's true. And so we don't lead with our feelings. And I just love the, the foundations, the seeds that are being planted. There was this third, I don't know, third, fourth grade girl that was leaving and she had her brand new Bible. All the kids got new age-appropriate Bibles for them. They wrote their name in them. They highlighted them. They did scripture memory verses and all of this. And she's leaving the commons. She goes, Pastor John. And I go, what? She said, I just love the Bible. And I go, I am so glad that you, this is, this is my favorite. This is so cool. This is my Bible. I'm going to read it on the way home. I just love the Bible. I'm just saying, I haven't seen any of you say that recently, okay? <laughs> Not seeing you walking in here on Sunday morning. I'm coming to church and I brought my Bible. Woo! Something to aspire to. <laughs> and way more important than that, is that these kids are learning to trust what God says, not just what they feel or what anybody else says. When you're in the land between, you move from false narratives to truth. But here's what we often forget. When we're on this journey from here to there, when we're in the desert, when we're in the wilderness, what we often forget is that we were never meant to make that journey alone. One of the wisest men to ever live, King Solomon, says this, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Let's read it together. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Some of you are like, oh, that's the cute wedding verse that you hear at weddings. No, it's not. It can be. It's about moving as Christians from isolation to community. And this is why that's so important. Do you want to know what one of the devil's greatest tactics is? It's not to get you to make some big, dark, horrible sin. It's to get you isolated. When you stop coming to church, when you stop going to your small group, when you don't have people that are, as Dr. Brown talked about last week, hedging you in, you know what it's easy to do when you're isolated? Believe lies. The, the wilderness, the land between, is fertile ground for bitterness, for believing lies, but it doesn't have to be. The land between is very, very lonely, but you do not have to go it alone. And some of you are living a version of Christianity that was never supposed to exist. You and God. It's me and Jesus, baby. But nobody knows underneath this awesome smile and face that comes to church every Sunday, I'm crumbling. And nobody knows about it. Because that's a cute wedding verse. No, it's not. It's God's heart for you today. None of us were meant to live in the land between alone. Don't get taken out. I've seen it time and time and time again. I grew up in the church. I've been in church my whole life. Yeah, but does anybody know what's going on underneath the surface? Well, no. You're a prime candidate to believe lies. You're a prime candidate to get bitter. You're a prime candidate to get taken out. Because we're stronger when we're together in community. And I will tell you this, today we're kind of lifting up and highlighting some of our small groups. I know we have some of our, our small group, men's, women's ministry, different small groups. If you're, just stand up or wave your hand or yell or make yourself, if you're around wherever you are. Yeah, just wave your hands wildly, yell, wave. Yeah, look at all the small group leaders. Awesome, there they are. Awesome, praise God. For, give God some praise for these small group leaders. Like clap like you mean it. There they are, Absolutely. They are awesome. We don't do small groups because it's cute. We do small groups because we're created for it. 
because we're desperate for it. And after the service today, they're all going to be out in the lobby, just like you'd come home from the airport and you're looking for your person with your sign. Go find your person with your sign, okay? There are dozens of groups and ways to get connected. Women's Sunday, we have a new group starting about uh, those of you that maybe have friends or family members that are struggling with mental health. That's starting here in a few weeks, a study on forgiveness. Thursday and Saturday men's group, there's young adult women's, young adult men's, young adult couples, there's married with young kids. Uh, Any season of life, our alpha class, you can still jump into that this week. Let prayer change your life starts on Wednesday. There's literally something for everybody. Get connected. Men, you heard about the men's kickoff this Thursday as well. I'm super excited about that. As if as God just provides these illustrations, I was putting our nine-year-old Caleb to bed the other night, and I walked into his room, and he wasn't, he didn't have his head on his pillow, and he had all of his stuffed animals in a giant circle facing each other on his bed. I was like, what are you doing? Why, why are you not going to sleep? And here's the thing. I had just gotten home. My wife had put the kids to bed. I had just gotten home right before they closed their eyes from our Thursday night men's ministry group. And he knew where daddy was. And I said, Caleb, why aren't you asleep? What are you doing with all of your stuffed animals? It's time to go to bed. And he goes, Dad, they're all facing each other. And he's like talking, make-believe talking. He goes, Dad, I'm doing some men's ministry. Man, all I'm going to say is this. You better get your butt there on Thursday. Because if he can do it, you can do it. Amen? Okay? There's nothing standing in the way. Guys, you were created to be known. And this isn't some trink event where you come and get a little trinket. Hey, men's ministry. Come and be known. Come and be sharpened. Come and discover the man of God that you were created to be and how this church can help you with that. You're not alone. Move from isolation to community. Find one of those small groups. Get connected. They're all online. Go check them out this week and find the one that fits for you. Move from isolation to community. The children and the youth of... This isn't about him being a pastor's kid. The children and the youth of this church are watching you, adults, They're watching you and they're asking themselves this question. Oh, when you're kids, everybody has friends. But I guess when you get to be a grown-up man or woman in the church, then you just do it on your own. The story I'm telling myself is I just don't see mom and dad being friends with anybody. They do social stuff. But they're hurting, and I know that they're hurting, but they don't talk to anybody about it. They just shove it. They just stuff it. Oh, I guess when you become a grown-up Christian, then you just come and sit in a pew and face forward the whole week, once a week. No, when you become a man or a woman, (laughs) you open up your heart and say, I can't do this alone. The best thing that you can do is find some teammates Find your group at Hope Elam. It's how God created you. Move from isolation to community. And last but not least, as we look at these stories, whether it's Babylon or going through the wilderness to the promised land or your own land between story, it's easy to live with a limited human perspective. We know that God says to us in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And I said before, we trust our feelings way too much. We trust our own thinking way too much. 
When we're in the land between, as a church, we're not where we were and we're not where we want to be. We, we give way to complaint. We give way to bitterness. We give way to false narratives. We start isolating ourselves. We pull back from community. We don't, we don't let allow anybody else in. And God says, no, actually, it's the exact opposite. Because if you only knew what I was doing, my plan and my purpose for you is much bigger than that. And out of the prop room, i got to thank our uh, facilities guy, Dan, for this. I said, get me a really nice-looking ladder. And, well, this is where we're at as a church, so this is our nicest-looking ladder. All right? <laughs> We've been doing some painting. Thank you very much. Volunteers have been doing some painting. Here's the reality. This is the last shift that we want to make. Go ahead and go to the next slide. We want to make the shift from living primarily in the lower story to the upper story. What do I mean by that? Every single story in the Bible has two stories going on simultaneously. There is a lower story that we see from down here, not even a couple rung, rungs up, but a lower story that we can see from our limited human perspective, our five foot, six foot view perspective. This is what's happening and this is what I feel and so I'm just going to assume that it's True. This is what I can see from my limited perspective. But at the same time, every single story in the Bible also has an upper story that you can see from an entirely different perspective. I might just preach from up here. This is, this, look, this is God's perspective. A totally different perspective, different ways, different thoughts, where God says, you don't always understand what's going on here, but I'm doing something far greater than you could ever imagine. From a lower story perspective, there, there, there's a crazy man named Noah that's building a yacht in a drought. From a if you were just looking at the lower story, from an upper story perspective, God says, I'm going to save the world. From a lower story perspective, there's a teenage girl named Mary in Nazareth who's pregnant and we don't know who the daddy is. And that doesn't make sense at all. So I'm going to get bitter and I'm going to believe false narratives and I'm going to isolate myself because I don't fully, nope. I'm going to remember that there's an upper story going on that Jesus says, God says, I'm going to choose the most unlikely people to use to build my kingdom, including a teenage girl from Nazareth, right? From a... From a lower story perspective, we're stuck in Babylon for 70 more years. God, what are you thinking? <laughs> but from an upper story perspective, God says, oh, it was there in those moments, not in the promise, but in the process where you actually became the men and women that I created you to be. You learned to trust me, you became men and women of integrity, and you developed character. Not in the lower story, but in the upper story, and then you get paint on your suit coat, and it's great. <laughs> you learn to trust God that there's a lot more going on, not just in what you can see. And what do these characters find? Number one is that trusting in the upper story, when you, even when you can't see it, is what brings meaning and purpose. And secondly, I just think somebody needs to hear this today. When you're in the land between, your season does not define your story. Whatever season that you're in right now will not be the final word about you. The chapter does not define the entire book. There is more going on. There is an upper 
story. And sometimes it's about going through it. And I'll end here. There was a, uh, a moment that I remember very distinctly. Um, I've been thinking a lot about my kids this week. And um, I had brought Evie to swimming lessons. I think she was about three or four. And when we went, it was a bright and sunny day in the middle of the summer. And then you know how those summer days can turn. And while we're finishing up swimming lessons, it just gets dark and stormy. And all of a sudden, it's a downpour. And there is no covering at the pool. And our car is really far away on the other side of the parking lot. And all we have is her towel. And she's in this cute little four-year-old swimsuit. And I just know we're going to get soaked. Because we can't stay here. And yet we're not quite there yet. There is a land between called a really big swimming pool parking lot. And it's raining hard. It always rains, doesn't it? In our lives. And the storms come in the land between. And I remember this distinctly. I just looked at her. She had no idea it was coming. And I said, honey, we're going to make a run for it. Do you trust daddy? And she's like, "Eh, I don't know. And I throw the towel over her head, and I remember she just wraps her legs, you know, mom and dad, you know, they wrap their legs around you. She lays her head right here, and I'm just like, one, two, three. I'm like, ah! I'm like Forrest Gump running through the woods, you know, like, ah! And we're just running, and she's bouncing up and down, and and I just hear, like, this high-pitched squeal, daddy! Like, as we're running through the parking lot, I'm like, I've got you, I've got you, I've got you, I've got you, and, like, everything about my daddy heart was like, Can you trust me? Can you trust me in the process? I know we're in this land between, but you know that I'm carrying you and I'm not going to let you go and we're going to get home. But you have to trust me while we're in between. And she's bouncing up and down and we're just soaking wet. And I remember putting her in her car seat and she like looks up and she's like, no idea what's happened, right? And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, she probably hates me. She's going to be in therapy for this moment someday. Like my dad just soaked me. It was like this giant shower that lasted for five minutes, you know. What are you thinking? And inside, my dad heart's going, oh, but I hope she doesn't. Because that was one of my most favorite memories with her. Because we got to be close. And I think that some of us have mistaken opportunities to be close to God as obstacles that we're just trying to get through. In that moment, I needed her to trust my vantage point, my upper story perspective, that I had a plan and a purpose. And what God says to us as a church today, what I was saying to her, what God says to the Israelites in Babylon, and what God says to you as an individual, is I've got you. I've got you. I've got, I've got her, I've got you, John, I've got your daughter. I've got this church. I've got you and whatever you're going through in the land between. And I need you to trust me in the process that there's a lot more going on here that you can't see. That my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And that I have a plan for you, for a hope and a future. And I think about that story. I don't know why that came to mind this week and then it hit me. Oh, it's been raining in our lives, and not just physical rain, but Evie is going through some health stuff. And um, 
a lot of doctor's visits, and it's a little scary, and there's still some unknowns right now, and I feel like we're living in the land between. And so that run through the parking lot, God said this week, that's you right now. And they're working on some stuff with their brain and different things, and it's a little scary. And I will tell you, I have been complaining. I've let my heart get a little bitter. I've believed false narratives. And I've been living in the lower story. And then at the very end of Deuteronomy chapter 1, God is speaking about this journey that his people have been on through the wilderness, through the land between. (laughs) And we read this. (laughs) The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness, in the land between. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his child all the way until you reached this place. Whatever that place is for you, and I need you to hear this this morning, God is with you. He is fighting for you. He is going to provide for you. He loves you. His grace is more than enough for you. You have victory in Christ this morning. You are more than a conqueror, and he will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you. He's carrying you on that journey. And she's going to be okay (laughs) no matter what happens. He's got it because God is writing a bigger story. And I'm not going to do it alone. And one of the first things that we did is we didn't isolate and pull back from the church when things got hard. We ran to our church family and we said, we're a little scared and we need your help. And we had people that remind us and speak truth into the false narratives that we were believing. We went to our small groups. We went to our church community and they were able to remind us of what's true, that God is carrying you, that God is fighting for you. And God has a plan and a purpose for Evie's life, for our lives, and for our life together as a church. Hope Elam, we're not where we were, and we're not there yet, but we are on the way. And God says, I have a hope and a future for you. Amen? I have a hope and a future for you. And so let's stand together wherever you're at, online and in the room. We have a God that is fighting for us, that is with us. Let's worship him together. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.